0: Terms and conditions apply.
1: Hi, I'm Ron Barr, and this is today's edition of Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the Eight Side Network. Justin Wilcox joins us on Sports Byline. He's the head football coach at the University of California after being the defensive coordinator at Wisconsin, USC, Washington, Tennessee, and Boise State. And he grew up as the younger of two sons on a family farm in Junction City, Oregon. And he played quarterback at Junction City High School and then went on to play his college ball at the University of Oregon for Mike Bilotti, as well as his brother did the same thing. And his dad also is an Oregon grad, and he played uh, not only for the Ducks, but he went on to have a Hall of Fame career playing 11 years for the San Francisco 49ers. Take me back uh, for just a moment, Justin, to uh, Junction City up in Oregon.
2: Yeah, uh, it was a great place to grow up. Um, Really learned a ton, you know, just from – Growing up there, from my family, my mom and dad, my brother, and then the coaches and teachers that I was able to be around, it was a small community, um, very tight-knit, and uh, a lot of the core values that I have learned, uh, I learned there.
1: I know your dad told me when I was talking to him, he's coming up a little bit later on, he said that you had to go out and you had to do your chores. You had to get up very early in the morning, and he said that gave him... Uh, a real work ethic that was really something that was the foundation of his life. Was it the same way for you too, Justin?
2: Yeah, I think just the accountability factor and being, you know, uh, a guy that you can depend on, a person you can depend on. And I think you learn that really at home and, and, uh, the people you're around, whether it's, you know, your family, which I was so fortunate to, to have a real strong family. And then the, uh, the, coaches that I was able to come up under, and I think that's just part of, um, you know, being a, to have a chance to to have some success in life, you know, being accountable, being a dependable person is a huge part of that, and I think uh, growing up where I did and, and with the people that I grew up with instilled that in me.
1: Yeah, I know you said my dad is in the Hall of Fame, but before that, he was a Hall of Farmer, and I love that particular line. Did he ever talk much about football at the house in the off season or or after his career?
2: No, not really. Uh, we didn't grow up that way. Um, he was he's a real humble guy. wasn't ever about him in that regard. And so we were. I was born after he was done playing. I knew that he had played football for the Forty ers and was supposedly pretty good, but he never talked much about it. We got a chance. I think once every few years we would get to go to a game you know I, I think maybe a couple times and growing up we went to a, a 49ers game so we knew uh, that he played but it wasn't something that uh, we spent a lot of time talking about to be honest with you it was really more about just the uh, family and and working hard and living right and and trying to do the best you can and you know the the accountability and the work ethic that it takes to be a, a, a successful person and be a good you know I just think that was really more of the, you know, what he was trying to instill in us, and it wasn't about his trophies or highlights or you know the Pro Bowls that he made.
1: Did you or your brother ever seek his advice about anything from a playing standpoint when you were, you know, at the University of Oregon or when you were a coach at USC, Wisconsin, Washington, any of the stops along your way?
2: I really think it goes back to more. It's just there it was so much more than football. It was, but these life skills that you learn, these values, really uh, they, they align with football. It's uh, work ethic and toughness and, uh, perseverance and never giving up and all those intangible things that really, you know, make or break your, your life and your football career. And so that's probably really more what we learned as opposed to technique. And, you know, he would once in a while would, you know, just talk about the importance of fundamentals, uh, Things like that, but very rarely did we talk about you know, the schematics or the techniques of football as much more of the intangible things that it took to be a good player and a uh, person. So
1: I know I mentioned that Mike Belotti was your coach up at Oregon, and Mike had this quote. He said, he's got a piercing eye vision. When you meet him, you know it's more than just a happy face. He's a guy who is looking through you to take a gauge of who you are and what you are but he's got a folksy charm. He's just unassuming until you get into the heat of battle and then you want to be on his side, referring to you, of course. Uh, and You know, Mike Belotti, I've known Mike for a long time. What is it that made that program so successful up there?
2: Oh, I, th- I think uh, I learned a ton from Coach Belotti and, and the coaches that uh, were around at that time. Um, I think just that... Uh, Everybody was moving in the same direction. Everybody knew what the goal was. Everybody knew what the expectations were in terms of uh, how we acted on a daily basis. Whether it was a workout, uh, a position meeting, how we approached our schoolwork, uh, how we how we played. I I just think that was the biggest piece of it. You know, having a uh, you know a common vision for every guy in there, uh, the type of people that were involved in the program. You know, and we weren't perfect, believe me. But there, but there was a You know, there was a core, there was a value set to the team, and I thought that, you know, I I learned, I think we all learn some of the intangible things that are so important uh, as you go, you know, work through your football career, but also just as it applies to the rest of your life, and I think that was the biggest thing.
1: Second time for you at Cal, you were a linebackers coach under Ted Tedford, and now you're the head coach at the University of California. But your leanings have been on the defensive side as a coordinator and everything, when you take a look at uh, the direction of college football today, the wide openness of it and everything, what have you seen as far as the change, the way the game is being played today, Justin?
2: Yeah, it's uh, the game is, I guess, more loose. It's spread out. The uh, formations that you see from offenses uh, typically create a lot more space than even 15 years ago. Um, the pace of play has changed dramatically. The number of plays that you uh, see during a game is significantly increased. Uh, so I think you know a lot of these the spread offenses that incorporate the quarterback runs, which changes the math in a in a lot of ways in the in the game how you defend people. Um, so there's been pretty significant changes. I don't I think uh, a lot of it is option based. You know where single wing teams were doing this how many ever years and years and years and years ago. You know way back when when the game. First, begin being played. So, I don't, I just think it's different formations, how people are getting to it differently. Obviously, the speed has increased, uh, not only the tempo and the pace of play, but the players themselves, are, the training. We're more informed now than ever on how to try and help players be at their best. So, I think it's just gotten faster. There's more plays. Uh, the spacing on the field has really come into play. This run pass option with the quarterback run game is really kind of uh, evolved so yeah it's a challenging game on defense it's a uh, it's wide open i know on offense and at the end of it it still comes back to fundamentals you know it's playing with good technique and blocking and tackling and all those fundamental things that really give you a chance to have some success and that's where you really want to spend a lot of your time no matter what scheme you may be on offense or defense.
1: And I would have supposed that you've thought about this, about the changes that come for you because you're no longer a coordinator, you're the man. Uh, and and for coaches today, it's a different dynamic that's come into play. How have you seen the change there?
2: Yeah, I think there's just, uh, everybody's got a job to do. Um, you know, everybody in our program uh, has a responsibility to our program. Um, everybody's I don't see myself as any more or less important than any other person in our program. I just, I have a, a more decisions to make. And uh, I'm fortunate to be surrounded by great people uh, from our equipment room to our support staff and our academic support and all these people on our campus who are, uh, who've been so, who are, who are so criti- critical to our success and then obviously our coaches and players. And so we're all a piece of it. Um, you know, and I'm uh, honored and humbled to be in this position and really excited to, to move forward with it.
1: Justin, when you take a look at uh, yourself and the experiences you've had, who were the people that were important for you, uh, for you from the football standpoint?
2: Oh, that's a, that's such a good question. It's a hard one for me to answer because there's so many. Sure. Uh, I mean, right. I can name them all. It just take me a while. But so <laughs> many players that I played with, uh, uh, coaches that I've played for or coached with, and I'm talking about head coaches. I'm talking about guys on the other side of the ball, guys on the same side of the ball, um, I've met a ton of great high school coaches and small college coaches who are as good as anybody out there and uh, learn from them. You learn from players, you know, every time, every year you have a new experience and the players are kind of constantly evolving and you're learning how to communicate better with them, how to teach them um, certain situations that come up, how to best, you know, maximize uh, their potential. So I think you just constantly are evolving and that's the fun thing and the challenging thing about our our uh, job, and uh, I know it's one that I've always enjoyed. So to pick one person would be really hard for me. There's just so many people and, and so many different ways that have impacted me along the way, which I'm fortunate for.
1: We only have 35 seconds left, but uh, you've, uh, of course, coached in the Big Ten, in the Pac-12 and everything. Uh, what's the personality of the Pac-12 conference?
2: Well, it's an exciting brand of football. Um, you're, the athletes are dynamic. I would you know They're as good as any in the country. Um, there's excellent coaches and you get different challenges each week. You know, everybody, you know, you have, I think this people use the term spread, but what does that really mean? I mean, there's different versions of all these offenses that are getting in the gun and spreading the field on you. Some of the running the quarterback, some aren't, some are using tempo, some are using shift in motion. You have the teams that are more traditional in Stanford who does a great job. Uh, So it's, you just have all these different challenges, uh, great coaches, really, really talented players and athletes, and I think it's as good as it's ever been.
1: I want to thank you, Justin. Congratulations on getting the head job at Cal. Take care. Thanks a lot, Ron. Justin Wilcox, again, head coach at the University of California. His dad, Dave Wilcox, Hall of Famer. And when we come back on the other side, we're going to be talking to Dave as we continue across the country and around the world. It's good to have you here on America's Sports Talk Show. You're listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast. At Bet365,
0: we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary. At Bet365, 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events... You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
1: Dave Wilcox joins us on Sports Byline, the Hall of Fame linebacker who played his entire 11-year career with the 49ers. He played in seven Pro Bowls and was an All-Pro five times. And this is the thing that blows me away. He missed only one game during his career because of injury. And I want to talk to you about that in just a second, Dave. But you grew up in Oregon. Take me back and tell me what it was like growing up in rural Oregon.
3: I grew up in eastern Oregon uh, in a place called Vail, which is about 75 miles from Boise, Idaho. My parents uh, moved out from Oklahoma in 1936 and homestead this place. Uh, I had uh, six brothers and one sister. There were four um, brothers that were born in Oklahoma, and my sister and the three other boys were Oregonians. And uh, we lived 10 miles from town uh if you wanted to eat you got up and did your chores <laughs> that was important uh my eighth grade class there was eight kids uh and but we were uh 10 mile that was in willow creek grade school and uh we had two classes in each room i don't know how many was in the seventh grade but couldn't have been too many and then uh Went to Vail High School. While I was in Vail High School, we won the state championship twice, finished second once, and finished uh, uh, fourth once. That's
1: uh, that's when uh, football came into your life. Uh, was it uh, a smaller squad uh, playing football, or was it an 11-man squad?
3: Oh, we were we had 11 men. And actually, I, I graduated from high school in 1960. I think it started about 1948, uh, Vail, started winning football games, and we were playing 11-man football. Uh, and when I was in high school, 1956 to 1960, uh, we were classified as A2, which was the second biggest school. The biggest school was A1, and the team that used to win all the A1 uh, championships was in Jefferson in Portland, and they had a guy named Mel Rinthrow and so... Uh, anyhow, we wanted to keep up with the Renfros and the Jeffersons, <laughs> and uh, we we decided to win. But anyhow, uh, growing up in a small community like that um, was just incredible, uh, and we 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 had chores, like I said, and uh, we we laugh about this all the time too. We, where I grew up, I had a brother that was blind. He raised German short-haired bird dogs. And we used to go pheasant hunting, and during football season, somebody out where we lived had a car, I guess, or a pickup, and we would take our shotguns to school with us, uh, and after football practice, we'd drive home, and there was this gravel road we'd drive around, and he, would, the, a neighbor would drive us around, and we'd shoot pheasants on the way home. <laughs> but but while, while the pickup's at school, the shotguns were hanging in the back window with the keys in the pickup. So... <laughs> Things have changed a little bit.
1: <laughs> I would say so. Were you a big kid on that football team? Because I know your stature today, and I was just wondering, were you big at a young age?
3: Yeah, I, I guess I think when I was in high school, I weighed about two two ten was six three. My whole family, I had like I said, I got to count my brothers here, but there was uh, four brothers that I had. One brother was six five. He played with Philadelphia Eagles in nineteen sixty. Um, and then I had a couple other brothers who were big, big people. My, my mother was a big lady. My sister is, is six feet tall. So we come from a big family.
1: You, uh, played a couple of years at JC ball and then you transferred to the university of Oregon. You also had a brother that played in Oregon and he played on, on Oregon's 1957 Rose bowl team as well. Were you real comfortable or did you have a chance to go someplace else, uh, and play your college ball those last two years?
3: I had offers from USC, Washington, uh, Utah, Colorado. I forget all the schools. But my brother John actually went to uh, the one you're talking about, went to uh, University of Oregon in 1956 as a freshman. And he struggled a little bit and came back and went to Boise Junior College, and then he went back to University of Oregon. And I'll tell you about Boise Junior College here in just a second. But anyhow, I thought, you know, I better go to junior college first because I, I don't necessarily want to transfer like my brother did. But my brother was great play, played in a shrine game, played at Oregon, and, and then played with Eagles for one year and decided he didn't want to live in Philadelphia, so became a coach. But anyhow, <clears throat> last year, uh, in about two weeks from from, uh, I think it's the 10th of March. Last year, my brothers and a bunch of other people showed up at Boise uh, at this birthday party for a guy named Lyle Smith. He was 100, and he was our coach. And, and we went over and had a birthday party for him. I just talked to him last week. He would be 101, and he says It's tough to get around now.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> my, the guy's an incredible man. And one of the things through my whole career, I had great coaches. In high school, we had great coaches. Fundamentals, we didn't have a lot of plays. We just ran him really well. And in junior college, the same thing. And then when I was at the University of Oregon, we had some pretty good athletes. There again, a guy named Mel Renfro and Bob Berry and those guys. So anyhow, I was kind of lucky to hang out with the right guys, and, and I have great coaches.
1: I know that uh, you were a guard on offense and end on defense uh, when you were at Oregon, but the thing I want to talk to you about is that most people don't uh, remember this, but after your senior season, you played in the 1964 College All-Star Game. Now, the College All-Star Game was a game in which the College All-Stars would go up against the NFL champions, and the year before you played, you played in 1964, the College All-Stars beat... Vince Lombardi and the Green Bay Packers, who had won the NFL championship. And you played in the game in 64, where the Bears came from behind to beat the All-Stars 28-17. to Tell me about that game and that experience.
3: I'll tell you what. It was after I graduated from Oregon. Well, actually, we played in the Sun Bowl, and we left uh, after the Sun Bowl. As an Oregon team, I went and played in the Hula Bowl in Hawaii, came back, and then I played in the Buffalo American all-star game or something. It was just college kids. And then we played in the, the game in Chicago, but that was rather unique uh, playing against the bears, you know, cause we'd you know, watch them when I was growing up, we'd get TV, you know, like once a month and it would show the bears playing the giants or somebody. So it was, and then, and you kind of, you know, a lot of those guys, But it was different, and that's for sure. But we lost, uh, I think, instead of going to training camp with the 49ers, we spent, I think, a total of three weeks back in Chicago. Otto Graham was our coach. Mm -hmm. We had a guy named Joe Don Looney, who was (laughs) from Oklahoma, and he was a punter. Uh, Oh, Hal Bledsoe played at USC. Paul Krause, who played with the Vikings, of course. I think Paul Warfield was on that team.
1: Warfield, Charlie Taylor, Pete Bethard, and on the defensive side, Carl Eller, Mel Renfro, you of course, and uh, and also Wally Hilgenberg.
3: Yes, yeah. and, and there was a guy named Bob Brown who was a tackle uh, who, from Nebraska. I think he played in that game too. He, who ended up playing with the Raiders and, and for a long time. So, oh yeah, there was we, See, as a matter of fact, I do have a picture of the Hula Bowl team, uh, and I think there was a total of 28 players on the team, and there's five Hall of Famers in that picture. There's uh, Warfield, uh, Carl L. or myself, Paul Krause, and I believe Mel Rinfeldt.
1: You know, you guys led that game 10-7 at the half, and, of course, that was against the Chicago Bears, and Papa Hallis was the coach over there. And after what had happened the year before, which was only the, uh, I think, the eighth or ninth time that the All-Stars, college All-Stars, had beaten the NFL pros, there was a lot of yeah. pressure on the Chicago Bears.
3: I know, and I can't remember all the players. Will Adipka was playing, I'm sure. Right. And was Eddie... Wade, uh, oh, Bukic, who were the quarterbacks? I'm trying to remember.
1: Wade was the quarterback.
3: Okay. And uh, then, uh, well, I'm trying to think of the linebackers oh, the who they had. Well,
1: to... Nitschke was with, the, with uh, Green Bay at that time, and I would assume that he probably played in that game as well. He was hurt the year before.
3: Oh, probably, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, anyhow, it's kind of <laughs> – that's a long. A couple of years ago, I'm kind of hard to remember all that stuff.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you know, there was always sixty five thousand people on hand to watch that game.
3: Yeah, and we played in Soldier Field, at right? The time. And and then because when I was with the 49ers, we used to play at Wrigley Field. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and and well, most of the field they they the the field included. Part of the, each dugout, and then they'd put the plywood over the dugout. So when you ran at say, Wrigley Field, if a guy ran a pattern too deep in the end zone, he'd run and fall in the in the dugout. So anyhow, that, that was interesting. And also, when we played at Wrigley Field, I'm getting off base here, but the teams were on the same side of the field. I mean, you know the The Bears are supposed to stay on one half, and we've stayed on the other half.
1: Hold on just a second, Dave. Dave Wilcox is with us, Hall of Fame linebacker who played his entire 11-year career with the San Francisco 49ers, played in seven Pro Bowls, and was also an All-Pro five times. We'll talk about his career with the 49ers in the NFL as we continue across the country and around the world on Sports Byline. You're listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast. Dave Wilcox has joined us here on sports byline. He played 11 years in the national football league, all of those in the San Francisco 49 ers And Dave, when you came down here, uh, you decided to sign and play in the national football league. You were drafted in the third round by the 49ers, but you were also taken in the sixth round of the AFL draft. What was the deciding factor for you to go NFL over AFL?
3: Well, uh, when I, when I was staying at the dorm at Oregon and Houston, I got drafted by Houston and they called me on the uh, pay phone there at the dorm and the dorm manager told me to call him back. But Lynn Casanova, who was my coach at Oregon at the time, told me before the draft not to do anything until I talked to him. He, I guess he was, must've been our agent if you will. And so anyhow, I went in the next day after the 49ers drafted me and a guy named Franklin Muley, who owned the Warriors was an Oregon alum and was part owner of the 49ers. Was in town and he took Mel Rountree and out and bought us dinner. But anyhow, Kaz told me that I needed signing with, with San Francisco because he knew the owners. And I said, Well, I mean, well, well, that's good. So I got a twelve thousand dollar contract with a three thousand dollar signing bonus, and I. And they told me that I took all the money and so they couldn't pay the rest of the guys. So. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, but Lynn Casanova was one. I, I believed everything that that he was my coach, and he knew best for me.
1: You also played with the 49ers at old Keysar Stadium. Now, I've been here in San Francisco for a while. I certainly have gone over there. I wasn't there when you guys played. How would you describe Keysar Stadium for the listener?
3: That was a classic place. Uh, w- one, we used to stay downtown uh, the night before the game, and then we would drive down to Kizar Stadium on Sunday. And Matt Hazeltine, who was the old linebacker from Cal, that played with 49ers for a long time, he and I would drive down H Street going into Golden Gate Park into Kizar and that's when all the hippies were. <laughs> We're kind of starting there in San Francisco, so I, I'm not sure why we did that, other than just kind of look at the hippies <laughs> as we're going to Cusear. And then once you got to Cusear, on um, the it was really a nice stadium, but there was a tunnel that ran from the locker rooms out to the uh, it'd be the East End the, underneath the goalpost, and in that tunnel, I don't know how it seemed like a long ways, probably fifty yards or so. I don't know but it was all gravelly. And so early in the year, uh, when they would introduce the teams, and they would introduce the teams from the, from the uh, tunnel. Well, we would always go out first and kind of shuffle around and make sure there was a lot of dirt in the tunnel <laughs> before the visiting team came out. <laughs> and so anyhow, we, we helped them out like that. But it was great, and the Seagulls used to come in uh, towards the end of the year and play. And I remember one game, it was, we were playing the Baltimore Colts, and Johnny and Nytus and John Mackey and Lenny Moore, those guys. And uh, one time I played across from John Mackey, and he wouldn't put his hand down on the ground. And I told the ref, Isn't that there must be a rule violation or something. Well, the reason he did that is because when all the seagulls would come in, all the worms would come up, and he didn't want to touch the worms, <laughs> get his hands dirty.
1: <laughs> now I understand that the fans could be pretty rowdy out at Kezar, especially if you guys were losing, because there were a couple years when you had some very tough years. Uh, oh, with yeah. the Forty ers and I understood they had to put uh, wire netting over that tunnel area where you came out on the field because the fans would throw beer cans at you guys.
3: Yeah, well, well I think that you know you'll have to ask uh, Dan Fouts and and his dad maybe, but uh, I think people used to buy season tickets for their beer and their coolers and stuff, but if you never wanted to walk off the field by John Brody if if you lost. <laughs> because the people would throw stuff at him. And I remember one time they missed and hit an official, and that's when they put a a wire thing over the top. So the people, I guess they drank too many beers, they couldn't throw the beers over the top of the fence.
1: (laughs) There's two other stories, and maybe you can help confirm them. And, And one of them is the fact that John Brody and Jack Christensen really did not get along very well. And the story, one of the stories I heard, was the fact that if the team was trailing when they came out for the second half, christensen would be up ahead of brody and as the fans were booing he'd turn around and say hey kid they're really on you today aren't they
3: <laughs> oh i i didn't i didn't know about that uh and that's possible um i know that fan you know they were were close and very diehard fans um and um uh, you know towards the end of the year or the middle of the season now it, it the keys are. It's kind of nasty. It was cold and rainy and foggy and all of that. Yeah, the so I, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah,
1: the other thing I heard is is that uh, Brody would have a, a poker party on Saturday night before the game on Sunday, and he'd call the guys over and he'd change the game plan. <laughs>
3: Well, you know, that's a possibility. Like I said, I played defense, so I do not know what they do. Right.
1: Speaking yeah. of that, let me ask you about the great linebacker tandem that you had with the 49ers. Wilcox, Frank Nunley, Skip Vanderbunt, uh, those you three guys together. What was the chemistry? What was the reason for the success that you guys had?
3: Well, <clears throat> I think we really had some pretty darn good players. And you start with the defensive line. There was Cedric Hardman and Tommy Hart. Charlie Kruger. um I can think of Jimmy Johnson, who's my best buddy, the defensive back. We had uh, Bruce Taylor. I'm talking about the 70s, early 70s, late 60s um, and then offensively had some really good players, Gene Washington and Brody and they had some running backs and they scored points. When I first got to San Francisco they scored points, but we defensively we weren't very good. And teams used to be this, I think, because of our defense. But anyhow, um, it, I wouldn't trade it for anything. There's was, there was some wonderful guys, and you know, uh, everybody. It, it's really interesting. We we talk about this all the time. The personalities of the team. Uh, you, you know, there's 40 different personalities, but for 60 minutes on Sunday, you put your personalities aside and 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 as, as a team and. And quite frankly, I think in today's world that is kind of lost. Sometimes it is a team game. One guy doesn't win it, and basically one guy doesn't lose it. You know, somebody I was telling somebody the most important player on the football team is not the quarterback or running back or stuff. It's the center because if the center doesn't snap the ball, nothing happens. Right. Right. And the quarterback, he didn't want the ball because he either throws it to somebody or hands it to somebody. <laughs> so, so he's at the end of the line as far as I'm concerned. So it's the lineman and the people up front. But it does take 11 guys at a time to do it. So it, it is definitely a team game. And, and that's the thing. When I quit playing, it wasn't necessarily the, the game itself, or the, but it was your buddies and your teammates and the things you've gone through and, you know, you help each other and, and all of that. So uh, it, it is definitely a team game.
1: Yeah, it's the comradeship. A lot of players tell me when they leave their sport, that's the thing. You once said, Dave, what I do best is not let people block me. I just hate to be blocked. And following each season, the 49ers would rate their players based on their performance. The typical score for a linebacker was 750. And your score in 1973 was 1,306. And that season, uh, you recorded 104 solo tackles, four forced fumbles, and you tackled opposing ball carriers for a loss on 13 occasions. And you were really a true student of the game. Everybody I've talked to about you said that. What does that mean, fundamentally correct?
3: Well, this goes back to when I was in high school and junior college and stuff. And, it, and the coaches that I had, and I always thought everything started with your feet. If, you, if your feet are in the wrong position when you do certain things, and that comes from the coaches that I had that taught me that. And fundamentally, you know, there's a lot of great athletes playing <laughs> in. I played against Dipke and John Mackey and guys like that, who are very talented guys. And the only way it's probably going to succeed in from getting blocked, and stuff, was doing the proper technique, make my sure my feet are in the right spot at the right time, or the or the the leverage that I'm supposed to have, I got to make sure I get there. Um, I, there again, we used to, as you as play, I got older and played more games. We would look at films, and you pick up the little things that might tip off a play. A, a guard might be his foot might be uh, six inches behind on one play and not on another one. So you, wait a minute, why is he doing that? That type of thing. And then, then of course, you know, like I said, there's so many great athletes in that world, um, and there are a lot of them today, of course. But I, I, fundamentally, I had to be correct because, you know, maybe I didn't have as much talent as some of the other guys, but I was going to work my tail off to make sure I knew fundamentally I was right.
1: Let me ask you about one of the stats I mentioned a little bit earlier because it kind of blows me away. Uh, You know as well as I do that uh, when it came to health and when it came to doctors uh, back in that period of time, uh, it just wasn't the same as it is today. And you missed only one game during your career because of an injury. How did that happen? How were you able to do that?
3: I don't know. Maybe it got hit in the head too many times. (laughs) Uh, Anyhow. Uh, I got, it, it was 1970, we were playing a Miami in the exhibition game, and a guy clipped me and tore the cartilage in my knee. It was uh, about the s- second or third exhibition game, and I played the whole season in 1970 with that. can i get my knee drained and put it in ice, and oh, man, they, they talk about a challenge. But I had to play. I mean, I had, couldn't, couldn't let my teammates down, so I had to be there and do that um and so it was a matter of our Dr. Lloyd Milburn was our team doctor and so long as I wasn't you know hurting breaking something else or creating more problems he said you know you can play but it's going to hurt and uh, of course it did uh quite I used to tape it up and all that and then after the 1970 season I went back to Oregon and a guy named Dr. Slocum, who at that time was one of the real orthopedic people in the country, uh, fixed their, operated on it, fixed it. But cartilage at that time, I mean, I was in a hospital for a week and stuff, and now it's something you go in in the morning at 10 and you're home at noon. So anyhow, uh, but, yeah, I wouldn't recommend that everybody do that, but it worked out for me.
1: Let me also ask you, during the course of the 11 years you played in the NFL, you think back about all the games that you played in. Is there one that is really indelibly in your mind forever?
3: Every one of them. Uh, you know, how how fortunate I was to be able to do that. Looking back, like I said, I my eighth grade class was eight kids. My high school graduating class, the four-year high school, I think there was 51 kids in my graduating class. I grew up on a farm in Eastern Oregon. How in the heck did I ever end up going to Canton, Ohio? Uh, Great coaches, had some skill, I'm sure, a lot of luck, and a lot of good teammates.
1: When you take a look at uh, all the great players you played with, and you played against as well, Hall of Famers, outstanding players, what's the commonality all of you have?
3: I think it's probably competitiveness. (laughs) You want to make sure you do everything correctly. Uh, And, you know, working with your teammates. I always thought that every team that I was on that was a good team had a half a dozen leaders that took care of internal problems. When I was in San Francisco, our coaches never had to discipline players because there was six or eight guys that took care of that problem. And I remember Dick Nolan one time wanted to know where this one kid player was and and the player had done something that shouldn't have been done. And we had a team meeting and he got a little huffy. So one of our guys took a hold of him and put him in the locker and, put the lock on the locker, and left him in there and told him when he was ready to be part of the team, we'd let him out. So we go out to practice, and Coach Nolan wanted to know where so-and-so was. Well, he's tied up right now. He'll be with us tomorrow.
1: Dave Wilcox with us, again, Hall of Fame linebacker who played his entire 11-year career with the 49ers, and that included playing in seven Pro Bowls and was an All-Pro five times. And as I said, the thing that jumped out at me Uh, is the fact that he only missed one game during his career because of an injury. And if you think back about, uh, again, the medical aspects of playing professional football, it was not the same as it is today. We continue with more of you and Sports Byline. You have been listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8Side Network.